So that's what we get to do this evening. We're in. Uh, we're going to be in Second Samuel chapter twenty-two. Second Samuel chapter twenty-two. Um, just so you know, we just have a couple more chapters to go. Twenty-four is the last chapter. So uh, stay tuned, though. There's there's quite a bit in between uh, now and twenty-four. And this evening we're covering uh, David's uh, a psalm that he wrote. It's it's also very similar to Psalm eighteen, almost word for word. Um, and it's, it's something that welled up in the heart of uh, the psalmist, the uh, man after God's own heart, and uh, so that's what we get to go over this evening. So if you're not there, as you're turning there, I'm going to pray for our time together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this moment that you've given to us to come together and study your word. We ask, Lord, that you would bless our time, Father, that you would give us understanding. And uh, Lord, that as we see... Uh, A man who obviously is flawed, a man who is dealing still even now with the consequences of his sin, still has not turned his back on you, which is truly wonderful. Lord, a man who knows your character, knows your faithfulness, knows that you are a God of mercy and compassion. Lord, that uh, Lord, you are a God of grace and you are faithful and uh, and Lord, it's at this moment that he considers all of these, these victories that he's had in his past up to this point and just explodes with this song of praise. And so I pray, Father, that we as your people, we would consider your faithfulness, how it is that you are a God of mercy, a God of grace, love and compassion, And we, too, would resemble these remarks, that we would come alongside David in a way, and, too, along with him, declare these words as our own. And so, Father, we commit this wonderful time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're doing this evening is we're joining David as he pauses, as he looks back at what God has been, who he's been in his life, what he's done, and, uh, and he gives praise to the Lord. Uh, this is a song of praise, and one that is almost exactly, as I previously said, almost exactly word for word as it is written in Psalm 18. Uh, It's also the longest psalm that's attributed to King David. We begin with David praising the Lord with metaphors depicting David's view of God's active role in his life. And this is why I thought this is what a beautiful chapter to go into and to consider how actually what David's perspective is of God in light of the victories that he's known, not without troubles, and not without consequences of his sin, but knowing who God is and how faithful God is and how it is that we ought to be, have this perspective, uh, be in this uh, state of, of mind and heart, our very spirit and soul being given to the praise and worship and service of our Lord, just as David was. And so we see these metaphors that David drew for us 
demonstrating God's active role in his life, and then goes on from there supporting these introductory statements. You can say the first four verses are just that, and then from there he supports those four uh, uh, metaphors uh, with examples to support that and to build them up. Uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, Asa made a mistake by not trusting in the Lord, but rather in Syria. When God had very clearly previously demonstrated to him his power and might and had been victorious over an enemy that was twice the size of the army of Israel. He had known this victory, or actually Judah. God desires, you see, to support and demonstrate himself as faithful on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Now, I say that second part because normally when, you, when we refer to 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, we only say the first part. And again, this is, this is God's rebuke against King Asa for having trusted in Syria against Israel instead of trusting in the Lord as he had before. And God had demonstrated himself faithful. And so although the first part of this verse is true, so is the second part. Because it is a statement of discipline, of judgment, against the one who had not been loyal and trusting toward the Lord. When we see verses like this and situations like this, it should, it should draw our attention to why, why it is that Asa was rebuked sharply, why it is that he had come to know this type of judgment from the Lord. Because what God desires as he searches out is that somewhere on the earth he would find someone who is completely loyal to him, completely trusting in him. Because God is able, isn't he? God Almighty. He is the creator of the universe. Who's greater and more powerful than he? No one. And so rather than put our trust in chariots or nations, let us be loyal to the Almighty God, who is able to deliver us from all and serves as our refuge, as our strong tower, always as he is our salvation. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 it says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And so this is how David begins. You know, many commentators assume that this is a psalm that David wrote to the Lord years before, when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of Saul. But this is not something that is confirmed. It's uh, something that is believed to be true, but not necessarily confirmed to be true. It very well could have been written shortly after David's victory over a rebellious uprising known to be headed up by Sheba. 
and his victories over his enemies, as we have studied and learned about up to this point. These are the words of David's song to the Lord that he wrote, On the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So there's no reason why it couldn't have been written at this point. And perhaps written earlier? Whether it was written earlier or later is is not for me something to get hung up on. But rather the content in the heart of the psalmist is what's important. Perhaps David wrote it when he was younger and now is rewriting it and singing it again with minor variations to the Lord. Why? Because it simply applies. Have you ever had a song of praise that you've sung to the Lord previously? And then find yourself having occasion to sing it again? I have. This is applicable right now, just as it was back at the previous moment that I sung God's praises for previous reasons. There are different and multiple times in our lives when we consider God's grace, when we consider his provision, when we consider his deliverance, his mercy, his grace, his provision, his protection and so much more. And so God has ordained this to be where it is. It's by no coincidence. This is exactly where it should be. It is David's song of praise to the Lord, and it's coming as far as we're concerned chronologically after he had been delivered from Saul, all of his enemies. We saw in the previous chapter that Israel had been delivered from the hand of these giants, right? So we saw all of this taking place, four, four different giants that were taken care of just previous to this. And so David presents eight different metaphors to present multiple views of God's roles that God has played in the life of David. He refers to him as my rock, my fortress, my shield, my stronghold, my refuge, my deliverer, the horn of my salvation, and my savior. We can consider all that the Lord has been for David as we think about bears and lions. Remember how it is that he fought against bears and lions? When was this? Was this, uh, this was pre-Goliath, wasn't it? This was a time in David's life when God was preparing him for what was to come. To have great confidence in the Lord, being a shepherd out in the field, tending to the flocks, of his father, being faithful, knowing what it meant, to being willing to lay down his life on behalf of that which was entrusted to him. But consider all that the Lord has done for David, his faithfulness to David. We consider Goliath, we consider Saul, the Philistines, Absalom, Sheba, traitors from within and traitors from without, and even from himself. David could, with great confidence, call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, knowing that the Lord was the one who had saved him from all of his enemies. So he could declare this with great confidence. And this is at some point in our lives where we ought to come to, arrive to, 
to where we can declare God's awesomeness, His faithfulness with great confidence for us personally. You see, David had the right perspective because he considered true facts about God. Not doubts, not fear, not anything but just who God actually was and is and always will be. I will not fear. I will not be anxious, nor will I worry. I will not despair of life. I will not serve another. I will not worship another. I will not put my trust in any other. You see, you and I can declare all of these things because we know God and his character. We can look back in our, at our lives and we can consider those things that God has pulled us through. The times when he has been faithful, he has been with us through and through. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so if we call upon the Lord, considering his might and faithfulness, we can pray with great confidence and with great joy. And this is what we see in David's song to the Lord, the song of great joy and great praise to him. Now, we have this list of these eight metaphors my rock is that which is great. It doesn't, we're not talking about a small rock upon which we stand. We're, we're talking about a great rock upon which we can look up and see that it is strong and it is immovable. And that is whom we stand on. Uh, our fortress, something that cannot be shaken, impenetrable, my stronghold. You picture these caves that David often hid himself in, especially as he, as he was fleeing from, from Saul. And uh, he would go, and, and there was no way that anything or anyone could penetrate those strongholds. He described them as his refuge, his deliverer, the horn of his salvation, and his savior. You know, the horn of my salvation is a term that is used throughout the Bible. It can, it can be used to um, describe power, great power. It can also describe something in which the oil of anointing can be poured into. It can also be described as uh, the, horn of the, the horns of the altar upon which you tie down the sacrifice. And in every way... It is describing victory. It is describing power. And so David knew the Lord in all of these ways. He was his savior. He was his refuge, his refuge, his fortress. He was his savior, his the one who would come along and bring him out of the troubles that he found himself in. So David goes on from here to describe in dramatic fashion, but true, the sheer awesomeness of God's power and the circumstances that God delivered him from. Verse 5 says, For the waves of death encompassed me, and the torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. 
In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delights in me. David, in a, a true sense, considered himself helpless. Helpless before a holy and righteous God. But listen to this. He, he also considered himself helpless personally against the strength and power of destruction and death that had overwhelmed him. He felt as though he was, he was trapped with nowhere to go, ensnared in a trap, and there was sure death. And I thought about how it is that we can relate to this. We, we can re relate sometimes to, to David in these words that he uses here to describe how he felt at the time before his enemies. He felt ensnared. He felt overwhelmed. He felt like there was no way out, but only through death. Have you ever felt this way about your circumstances? Because if you have, David did too. But David did something that was very important and something that we ought to consider ourselves. In his distress, he called out to God. And he knew something very valuable. He knew that God would hear his cry. Even though he may feel, think about this, even though he may feel like he's overwhelmed, even though he may feel like he's ensnared, like there's no way out, he's overwhelmed, he knew that God was faithful and he would hear his cry, and it would come to his ears. Verse 7 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. You know, Peter, the Apostle Peter at one point, in Matthew chapter 14, 
uh, him and other disciples saw Jesus walking on the water. And uh, Jesus asked for, or uh, Peter asked for permission to come out to him, and Jesus said, come. As he was going, this is what is said in, is said in Matthew 14.30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out. A simple prayer, Lord, save me. And he did. Jesus reached down, pulled him up, put him in the boat, and they got to shore together. At that very moment, and that was very real, that, that moment right there to where Peter was, he feared. He looked around and he saw the storm. He saw the circumstances. Even though, I mean, get this, Peter was walking on water. That took a great amount of faith. Just simply stepping out. Who, who would even ask the Lord, you know, can I come out to you? This is water. But I'll, I'll come out to you if, if you just say the word. I'll come to you. Who would get on the side of the boat and swing his legs around to walk on the water? But even in that moment of great faith, his faith failed because he saw the circumstances around him. But he immediately cried out to the Lord, and the Lord was there. He was faithful to pull him out of that water and put him back in the boat. And they reached shore, just as Jesus said they would. Then there was this man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who, whose heart was crushed for Jerusalem in the state that it was in. But this is what's written in Nehemiah 4, 4, and 5. It says here, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. You know, sometimes we focus on those prayers that are just, you know, save me or have mercy or be compassionate toward me. But did you know that there are prayers and the Lord hears for vengeance is his and he is just and to whom he is going to be just toward and merciful towards, towards those whom he will be merciful. But there are also prayers, just like some prayers of David, to where he just asks the Lord to apply justice, not forget those whom have come, whom who have come against David and against the Lord ultimately. All of these prayers reach the Lord. He listens. He inclines his ear to you and I. Others cried out to the Lord for various reasons. Noah, Job, Elijah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Jeremiah, Jonah, and the list we know goes on and on. Even Israel would cry out, and the Lord would hear and send them a deliverer. This was in the time of the judges. And it was Solomon, David's son, who in Second Chronicles had asked the Lord to hear the cries of the people when they repented. He said he would, and so he did. And he still does today. Why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed you see, the enemy wants us to believe that we are without hope, but God desires for us to call upon him. 
And then we see the power of God described by David in verses 8 through 16 as we read. It's just absolutely amazing. I mean, if you, if you think about the description of God and how as soon as the prayer uh, reached the Lord and, and he considered that prayer and he moved, he was moved by that prayer. The description, the, the power of God, the, 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 the uh, awesomeness of God is truly something that is amazing. If you ever thought of God to not be a God of wrath, you have the wrong God. The description of God being moved by the prayers of David is truly amazing and humbling. James 5, 16 through 18 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Quite amazing. A man with a nature like ours. Imagine if we just had that type of faith. God desires to demonstrate himself and what he can do through you and I as we align ourselves with his will, his character, what he desires and pray those prayers. God's wrath is described as terrifying. Think about this. The earth trembled. The earth quaked. And heaven itself was shaken. This is the Lord's explosion of righteous anger. That's what we see demonstrated here. There's nothing subtle about God's response. If you ever wondered how God responds to our times of need, you need not wonder any longer. You see, David knew God's deliverance from his enemies. Saved from their violence. And God, well, he is worthy to be praised because he knew that this was the doing, the actions of his God. David knew in and of himself he had no power, but God delivered him from the impossible situation. Now, regarding eternal salvation, what no man can do, Jesus has accomplished. What you and I have no power to do, God has fulfilled, delivering us from eternal condemnation and rather being saved in Christ through his sacrifice. For where there is no shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, but where there is a shedding of blood, as it was with Jesus Christ on the cross, there is the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 19.26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, as we have it written in John 10.10. But God is our support, just as he was David's support, and as he delivers us. He places us on a secure and sound platform in him. He is our rock, upon which no one has the power to knock us off. Well, from this amazing poetic description, 
of God and his re response, David goes on to give the reasons for his deliverance in verses 21 through 31. Verse 21 says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he reward rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful, with the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you deal purely, and with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. David is communicating here something that you and I can find of great benefit. Why it is that he was blessed. It'd be good to figure out why it is that the Lord would, would bless you and I. Bless anyone. If you were to ask how you could know God's blessings, you could go to this chapter and read this list and know what pleases God. Solomon found out what it was. Fear God and obey his commandments. And David, his father, knew that the Lord dealt with him according to his righteousness. It's interesting, right? Because we know David, he, he was no perfect man, was he? And did he possess any righteousness of his own? The answer is no, right? The only righteousness David knew was what he knew abiding in the Lord and none other. The Lord responds to a person's choices in life. As we see in John chapter 15, it's our responsibility to abide in Christ. No, that requires the exercise of our will. It requires us to choose to abide in Christ. The Lord responds, as we see in that chapter, as we do here, that the Lord responds to a person's choices in life as that person's choices affect his relationship with the Lord. Again, John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us, we align ourselves with the Lord. We will desire the things that the Lord desires. When we spend time in prayer, it's not necessarily... It is also to give the Lord a list of those things that we are requesting. But what's really more important is that our thinking, our petitions, our prayers of intercession, our desires end up getting in alignment with his desires, with his will. And so truly, if we're abiding in the Lord... And his words are abiding in us. We will ask what we wish, and it will be done for us, because it will be in alignment with his desires, with his wishes.
Now, when David says that he was blameless before him and that he kept himself from guilt, it did not mean that he was sinless. That's not what he means with those statements. But rather that he had dealt with a sin that he had committed and had been revealed in his own life. And he knew that there was no sin that was not repented of and the righteousness he knew was the righteousness of God in his own life. You know, the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Several examples uh, of this very truth is found in Psalm 138.6. I'm just going to run through a few of these and list them out. Proverbs 3.34. Proverbs 29.23. Matthew 23.12. Luke 1.52, James 4.6, and 1 Peter 5.5. It's this life that is peaceful and productive in the Lord. When things get revealed in your life that are opposed to the Lord, that have shamed Him, it would do us well to quickly repent, to confess and repent. Philippians 4.7 says it's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But that's a heart, that's a life that is not filled with anxiety, that we are at peace with the Lord. Why? Because we have followed through with those things that bless the Lord. Confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, trusting in Him, being loyal to Him, being trustworthy. Be blameless, be merciful, be pure. This is all what we see here. Be humble, take refuge in him. Again, trust in the Lord. Don't be unrepentant. Don't be prideful. Don't be merciless. David goes on to describe God as being his lamp in darkness, his power against overwhelming foes, able to lift him up Above the impossible. Oh, when God is with me, I can, I can leap over this wall. Well, that's quite impossible, humanly speaking. But with the Lord, oh, there's no problem that's too big and too wide and too heavy for the Lord to get us through. There's nothing. David describes God way, God's way as perfect, as true. And God serves as a, a shield for all who trust in him. You know how to be, you, you want to know how to be blessed? Is, is have this mind. This kind of a heart. When, when you have this before you, oh, nothing else is of great consequence. It's a, whatever you come across. David learned this. This is what he was singing. Can you imagine? He was singing his heart out. He knew this personally. I would love to have this same song come from my own heart toward the Lord. Verse 32 says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? 
This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lose heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. David just, he continues to glorify the Lord. By listing the many ways he was the recipient of God's divine help on the battlefield. He attributes God for having given him strength. He attributes to God guidance. A perfect way. That is the right paths to take. He also, understand this, he also attributed to him his ability to be agile. You know, it's, it's one thing to be powerful. It's one thing to know the right steps to take. But agility is something that is required on the battlefield, especially in hand-to-hand combat, um, to be aware of your surroundings and be agile, be able to, to turn on a dime, so to speak, to be able to be going in one direction and, and turn and go in another direction immediately, just like that. And David gives glory to God in telling God, you gave me also not only strength, not only guidance, but you gave me a perfect, perfect way and agility. Oh, spiritually speaking, that would be good for us to possess. Agility. To where we're going in a certain direction, we're so sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, God himself moving in us, that at some point, he calls us to pivot and we pivot. That's not the direction the Lord wants us to go in. Let's turn a bit here. Let's adjust there. Not something to be overwhelmed with or be like that. Sometimes these ships out at sea, it takes some miles to do a simple left turn. (laughs) Go to port. Go to port. I am. No, go to port. No, really, I am. We're going. You just can't feel it. Right? And we're going. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes the Lord wants us to be agile. At this very moment, I brought something to your awareness. It's time to pivot. It's time to go. For David, he was telling God, oh, Lord, you've given me agility. Not only that, but you've given me tactical advantages. That's what it means here by by saying that he put him in the heights. He, He stood in the heights. What he's describing there is you gave me, you gave me. 
not anyone else. You gave me tactical advantage over my enemies. That's what you did. That's, that's beautiful. Again, these are all things that David needed in the battlefield. And the Lord supplied him with everything he needed. Not only did he put him in those places of tactical advantage, but he also trained his hands for battle. You know, we're in spiritual warfare. We cannot let our guards down. We need to be aware at all times. Discerning circumstances, moments, uh, interactions, discussions. We need to be very aware that the enemy desires to pounce on us at any moment. As soon as we put our guard down, he comes in and pounces. And so for us, we cannot let our guard down. We cannot rest easy because the Lord has prepared our hands for battle. He gives us the whole armor of God. We are to put it on. We are to don the whole armor of God in advance, move forward. We should never let our guard down. Always be ready to move forward. David knew this. He, he knew, Lord, you, you gave me these... These, uh, these high places, but you also trained my hands for battle. We ought to always be ready for battle with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We ought to know how to use it. He acknowledged power from God to bend bows of bronze. In other words, with God, he accomplished the impossible once more. God was a shield of victory. Ultimately, God was David's shield of salvation. He also talked about this, this broadened path. In other words, his steps were sure. You know, when you're walking securely with the Lord, uprightly, there's, there's the, the, any compromise that you've known, you deal with it right away. That's why uh, David could say, you know, that that uh, he was blameless before him, that he kept himself from guilt. And uh, so he knew that for him, in, in his heart, he was clean before the Lord. For us, we will be placed on that broad path, on the rock, in the fortress, in that refuge, as we are living a life that is holy and righteous before him. In other words, we ourselves have nothing undone Nothing that's unrepented of, as far as we know. For David, he knew. He was on that broadened path. And it was because of that that David pursued the enemy with great confidence and assurance. You know, if you're, if you're in compromise, you won't, your steps will not be confident. You will, you will not engage uh, the enemy in a way that is confident in a way that you know God is with you through and through. We ought to know that. Again, David pursued the enemy with great confidence and great assurance. And because of this, David knew an overwhelming victory over his enemies. Destroying, this is how he described it, destroying, consuming, and crushing I love that. Again, I, I, I love just 
that whole idea, that whole picture of just going all out and being successful against the enemy. Destroyed, consumed, crushed. In fact, the enemies were beaten so badly that other enemies lost heart. I don't want to fight against David and his army. Let's just surrender now. And we'll save our lives. We'll just come and serve him. And that's what they would do. That's how David described what was happening with God. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Came out. They just lost heart. They were so filled with fear. Their hearts melted. And it was, it was, they were done. They came cringing to David. The enemies were beaten so badly that other enemies lost heart and surrendered to David without David even having to lift a finger. And then David praises the Lord again. Verse 47, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king. And shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his, his offspring forever. And so David continues his praise toward God. And again, I, I just have to say, soul, uh, David's soul was bursting with praise and exaltation for God. His great Savior, his great Deliverer. God is faithful. God is merciful. And David concluded this song of praise by acknowledging God's mercy upon him personally. The same God who gave him great victories was the same God who anointed him in the days of Samuel the prophet, was the same God who showed him an unfailing kindness throughout his life, helping David with a success that was beyond measure. God had promised David that he would show the same unfailing kindness to his descendants forever. And there was nothing to question God's promises with, for God was faithful. You know, Satan would want us to think that we are without hope. But with God, we always have hope, and he is able. And I want to tell you this, especially in the storm. I want to conclude with this story that I had read today. Uh, this is in a commentary um, by uh, Stephen Andrews. It's a Holman Old Testament commentary. But uh, beginning on page 354, he writes, The Power of God in a Thunderstorm. In the pre-dawn hours of August 6, 1945, three B-29s took off from the American air base located at Tinian in the West Pacific. One of these planes, the Enola Gay, carried the bomb that would forever change world and military history. 
After a six-hour flight, the plane piloted by Colonel Paul Tibbetts arrived at the prescribed target location for his one bomb payload, Hiroshima. At 8.15 a.m. local time, the Enola Gaze bomb, nicknamed the Little Boy, was released, beginning a freefall that lasted 57 seconds. Then at a height of 1,900 feet above the city, the world's first atomic bomb was detonated. It created an explosion equivalent to the simultaneous detonation of approximately 13,000 tons of TNT. The bomb was responsible for the destruction of about 90% of Hiroshima's infrastructure and about 70,000 deaths initially with as many as 200,000 people dying overall. The power of that first atomic bomb is well documented, but what is not often realized is that a typical well-developed thunderstorm releases even more power than the bomb dropped by the Enola game. As amazing as it seems, an ordinary summertime thunderstorm releases energy equivalent to 20,000 tons of TNT, more than one and one-half times the amount produced by the little boy's explosion over Hiroshima. 3,000 years ago, David declared that the, that the dark rain clouds of the sky gave witness to the power of God. The lightning that blazed forth was a powerful divine weapon. The voice of God was heard as the massive clouds thundered from heaven. Through eyes of faith, David saw what, was so easy, what we so easily miss. The power of God is in the thunderstorm. Close quote. Father, your power is on display. You are truly glorious, for you are the creator of the universe. I pray, Lord, and I ask that you would forgive us of our own sins. Lord, that you would make our feet to be sure wherever we step. As we trust not in others or in anything else, but simply in you. That we consider the spirit that has indwelled us. Lord, that we would consider the fact that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That, Lord, with you all things are possible. And that, Lord, you desire to do a special work in and through each and every one of us. Lord, may we look back and see your great faithfulness. May we look forward in great anticipation for what is to come with great hope. May we live this day, Lord, to your pleasure, to your glory. Lord, may we realize that you have equipped us with everything that is necessary to bless you. I pray that we would be of that mindset. Our hearts would be bent toward you. And we too, just as the psalmist, just as King David wrote in this chapter, Lord, we too could sing our song of praise as we consider your faithfulness, your love, and love that, Lord, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so thank you for this evening, for a great reminder, and, uh, and Lord, something that we ought to meditate on. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.